Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Tennis calendar runs for nearly 12 months a year, but there's no more keenly anticipated fortnight than Wimbledon. We'll take a look at the draws, who's in form, and I'll stick my neck on the line yet again. I've got to get it right sometime. We'll also speak to the man known as Baby Fed. That's Grigor Dimitrov, right here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, first of all, apologies that this podcast is a week later than planned. We were all set up, ready to go after the final of the Aegon Championships, and then something rather unexpected happened. David Nalbandian, one of the finalists, as you may have seen, was defaulted. Catherine Whitaker and I, as people that run the media operation at Queen's, we were just sort of putting our feet up, ready to, to disassemble the entire media room and go and have a bit of a, a bit of a drink to finish it all off and then suddenly I found myself hurtling out to the court to find out what was going on so it was all rather stressful and we were all rather busy and so we've decided to put it off for a week and here we are today Catherine how are you feeling on the eve of Wimbledon we're inside the media interview area I should just add uh, to set the scene we've we've been here for a few hours now today just getting used to the place seeing a few old faces seeing a few new faces and Wimbledon looks as beautiful as it ever did, Catherine. Yeah, it's amazing how it still looks beautiful in the rain, isn't it? <laughs> it does, yes. I mean, it has been uh, lashing it down so far today, um, but we are assured that the weather forecast is going to be improving for the better over the next uh, 24 hours. In fact, Monday and Tuesday look quite good, Catherine. Yeah, relatively speaking, compared to the summer we've had so far, they look positively glorious. I can't wait. It should be, uh, should be good. No, it's going to be it's going to be a cracking couple of weeks. I think uh, no matter what you like on the tennis calendar, there's nothing like Wimbledon. I mean, watching the we're staying in a in a house fairly nearby, and it's walking distance. We come along the um, the the sort of over the sort of Wimbledon field where everybody's camping and queuing, and the tents are up, and people are already getting the burgers on the go. It's quite an atmosphere out there, and I mean, it takes me back to be honest because. I was one of them once, yeah, once upon too. a time me back too. in the sort of 1900s. <laughs> um, I mean, we're probably going back to 1995 was the first time I ever came here to queue. And back then there was no sort of cushy field to go in where it was where it's sort of nice, sort of soft grass. You went on the hard pavement yeah, me and, too. Uh, and, and you, you pitched your tent and you got your packed lunch out <laughs> and you sat there. And I remember 
one particular year, 1997, I pitched my tent on the Monday and I was still there on the Thursday and I hadn't seen a ball hit because of rain. Do you know, I can beat that though, talking about pitching a tent on the street because my first time was 2002, managed to rope a friend in to queuing overnight and it was it was still queuing on the street but don't don't know we were only 16 at the time so we obviously didn't know much about the world and we decided a tent wasn't wasn't necessary you didn't have a tent we didn't have a tent um so we were just and you've got a degree we were just in sleeping i didn't at the time uh, we were just in sleeping bags on the street to uh to the amusement of uh, pretty much everyone else in the queue we looked like total amateurs <laughs> I came back later in the week with an enormous tent to try and compensate. (laughs) And you basically just compounded the problem then, because people are just thinking, well, what are you doing? It's glorious weather. Yes, exactly. So um, I got that a bit wrong first time round, but it was well worth it. What was the the first match you ever saw here? Can you remember that? I absolutely can. I was on the front row, and it was Roger Federer losing to Mario Ancic in straight sets. Wow hotly tipped Roger Federer in fact that can't have been the first match because it would have been uh, the defending champion wouldn't it from 2001 which would have been Goran in fact I think it might have have even been on court one I can't can't completely remember which it was definitely centre court I remember watching very clearly and I remember having listened or watched John McEnroe that morning tipping Roger Federer as the next big thing. And in saying, fact, He's two tournaments in a row because he tipped him for he? the French Open three weeks before and oh, I think Roger lost, lost to Lewis Horner Lewis in Horner. the first round of that as well. So, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I didn't get into the old predictions too much, <laughs> you know, really. I'm not really one to talk. And John McEnroe really knows a, a bit more than me. Sorry, you were saying? Well, I was I was just going to embarrass myself even further and say that, and then I had asked my mum to, to table the tennis that day and I got home that evening and I watched it all back to try and spot myself in the crowd. That's pathetic. <laughs> and really, on a public podcast, you really have no need to, to I'm just trying to make you feel this. better about your dreadful predictions. I'm yeah, they're not to... that bad, come on. Um, but anyway... They're going to get better today. That's what I can assure you of. I mean, the draw is out. We're already looking forward to the first day of Wimbledon. It all gets underway tomorrow. I'll be working on uh, BBC Radio 5 Live as part of their team. Catherine is working on the Live at Wimbledon team, which is a new service here at Wimbledon, online television. And they also incorporate the old Radio Wimbledon with lots of new uh, interesting presenters and and uh, commentators so it's a, it's a fantastic place to work at and uh, and be involved in and really the banter has already started about the draws hasn't it and the order of play because the order of play has put uh, Roger Federer out on court one tomorrow which is a, a bit of a surprise isn't it and um, and he's starting off against Albert Portas a Spanish player I must admit I, I don't think I, I, I've seen too much of I Albert think Ramos oh, Albert, mm, Albert Ramos I'm talking yeah. about Albert Portas who used to be around about 15 years ago and used to go under the name of the drop shot dragon and that was my favorite nickname because I gave it to him but anyway he's not the man who's playing Roger Federer Albert Ramos is what do we know about him well, Has he got a good drop shot? Well, not very much, apparently, given that we all thought he was Albert Portas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, listener. Um, that, that was uh, not exactly what I expected to happen when I brought up the name of uh, Albert Ramos, but there we are. Well, I think, basically, we've, we've underlined the fact that nobody knows very much at all about Albert no. Ramos, and we're expecting Right Federer. decision, putting him on court one? I think that's a bold move. Basically, I mean, obviously, Djokovic has to go centre, defending champion. Maria Sharapova 
you see the logic in that obviously you have to have a ladies match so it's basically you've chosen Federer over you've chosen Burdick over Federer to they've go chosen the a match. they've chosen a match up haven't they Burdick Gorbis i.e. two big hitters it's explosive not, it's players it's not certain to be a good match though is it I mean no. Gorbis is just about the most inconsistent he's been a bit ropey of late he has, well. yeah. he's not really been hitting the heights and late. I know Burdick's uh, he's a finalist here from 2010 but still that's, I mean, it's not quite the same as putting Sampras out on court two in 2002, but it's it's a bold move, let's put it, it that way. They're actually, I mean, we, we discussed David Nalbanian, and of course there's a, there's a, so much that, uh, that has been talked about over, uh, about him over the last week because of his, uh, his default in the, the final at Queen's Club, and he's up against Janko Tipsarovic. That is a real, really a interesting match out on court one. Yeah, that'd be an interesting match for the quarters, let alone the first round. Yanko Tipsarovic has probably got his head in his hands. He's thinking, <laughs> I'm number eight seed now. If I've worked my way up the rankings. I've got a good seeding. Hopefully I should have a cushy few first few rounds and then he then he draws a former finalist. And all and all the, the, the controversy aside, David Nalbandian was in fantastic form at Queen's, was, isn't he? He was. He's reminded us all, you know, how how much of a talent he is and how good he is on the grass. And when it's it's all about timing for him, isn't it? He's so naturally talented. Once he finds his timing he, he's he's breathtaking. Yeah, and he he hits the ball probably cleaner, I think, than just about anybody mm. around. There's another another great match on that court as well. So basically, they start off with Nalbandi and Tip Sarich, then it's Federer against uh, Ramos, not Portas, Ramos, and and then it's uh, Kim Kleisters against Yelena Yankovic, which you know you've got two former world number ones playing against each other in the first round. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, both of them, so, um, both of them, not much form of late Kleisters because of injury. Jankovic has just slipped down the rankings a bit. I mean, it's difficult to know where Kleisters is because she hasn't played that much. So, could could go any way. I mean, I, there's there's so much affection for Kleisters here, and so I saw her so earlier. much. She was looking really really fit and motivated and and happy to be out here. I mean, she you know she was asked I think in her press conference earlier today, "Are you retiring this time?" Mm. You know, because she said U.S. Open will be my my last one. And she said, yeah, I mean, that, that's Absolutely. it. There's, there's no wow. question mark, really. I think in her mind that, that this is this is it. Well, I think if you did a straw poll of everyone involved in tennis and said, who would you like to win the title this year, the ladies' title, especially knowing that it's her last one, I think it would be close to unanimous yeah. for Kleisters. She is an extremely popular person, and, and she is lovely to, to, to deal with for us in the media and an and utterly genuine personality as well. Uh, Andy Murray will get into his starting of the campaign on Tuesday. But Started one man, his uphill struggle. <laughs> yes, he has got a bit of a one, hasn't he? We'll, we'll go through his uh, his obstacles and sizable as they are in a, a moment or two. We, one one chap we've just forgotten to talk about is the, the defending is champion Novak Djokovic. Well, starts things off on centre court. He does against you know it's not a cushy draw as well. Juan Carlos Ferrero, who's no slouch on grass, not not made any major impact and obviously isn't ranked where he has been in years gone by, but still, it's Novak Djokovic, isn't it? He's, he's it is. Second round, though, I, I'd quite like to see him play against young Ryan Harrison. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Ryan Harrison's done, he's, you know, he's got the odd set off some top-ranked players. He's obviously got it in him to, to make an impact. He just needs to string it together and maybe just have a bit more belief that he can uh, he can do that. He's also somebody that goes onto the court with no respect necessarily for reputations. That's mm. not to say he doesn't respect his opponent, but he goes out thinking, right, I'm going to win. 
forget yeah. it. Forget a bit like Andy it. Roddick 10 years ago. And yeah. he, he's very close to Andy Roddick, trains a lot with him in Austin, I think. And Similar personalities yeah. in many ways, I think. And you mentioned Roddick there. It was a pretty... Um, a pretty sad sight to see Roddick at Queen's go out in the first round and he looked a little bit forlorn there and absolutely fantastic to see him then go down to Eastbourne which is quite a quite a brave move in a way mm. to sort of swallow the pride I mean he's never done that that in, in, in his career before you know, Eastbourne's a great event but typically Roddick hasn't needed that sort of preparation he's often won Queen's taken a week off taken it slow the week before Wimbledon then gone through to the last weekend here, he was short of form. I think he was on a six-match losing streak. He's gone down to Eastbourne. Awful weather conditions, you know, blowing a gale, often having to play twice in a day, and he's won the thing. Fantastic. He could easily have thought, oh, God, I just don't fancy that, do I? You know, I can, I've got enough grass court experience in my, in my locker that I don't need to do that, but good on him. And it was, it was really nice to see him win that title yesterday, and I hope, you know, it'd be nice to see him have a, have a run because... Whether this year's his last year or next year or the year after, he obviously hasn't got that many right. left in him. And Prediction coming up here, Catherine. Prediction right. time. Prediction time. And and uh, do feel free to uh, rewind this podcast to this point as and when Andy Roddick goes out early and, and uh, send in your tweet of uh, condemnation to me uh, to at Tennis Podcast because I believe that Andy Roddick, with those matches under his belt suddenly becomes very dangerous because he's a man who needs to play a lot of matches. He's not like Andre Agassi who I, I heard Nick Bolletieri saying on the radio a couple of days ago that Agassi basically had a 20 minute practice on a hard court in Boca Raton before coming over here to win the title in 1992. That was yeah. his preparation. Andy Roddick needs time on grass. He needs to get that service arm working and if he does and he has, watch out. And confidence. He needs that swagger doesn't he? He does. But I think I think so much of it revolves around that serve, mm. and if it, and, you know the year he reached the final here and so nearly beat Federer, and that was may, maybe for he him. should have beaten Federer. That year, I remember in the semis against Andy Murray and in the final against Roger Federer, he was serving up around 75-80% first serves in. A guy who puts 140 miles an hour heat on his serve was getting that many of them in. And mm. if he if he's that's anywhere near around that close level, close to unplayable, that is. isn't it? It is. Um, that's not saying I think he's going to win the title, but I think he could have a run here. What would a run consist? You know, what, what would what would you call a, a successful Wimbledon for Andy Roddick? I'd say maybe quarters. Quart. I think he could be very chuffed with with quarters. I think I think he's got a a, a very decent shout of getting to the fourth round. I think he's got. Nishikori in his court in his uh, yeah in his quarter David Ferrer who isn't on grass what he is on clay obviously see I'd back I'd back Roddick on grass against Ferrer even As though Ferrer I. won yep. the, the title uh, in Holland uh, last week you know he's playing well too and he's a great competitor I still think Roddick could take him yeah I agree he'd, I think he'd have uh, Del Potro or Chilich. Uh, fourth round that's tough isn't it that is tough yeah especially yeah I mean again Del Potro he could he could do something on the grass and Chilich obviously having won Queens I'd be surprised about Del Potro I've, he never convinces me particularly on grass or he hasn't to this point I think he's got it in him but he's so far and also he's been injured and all that Chilich mm. I think is perhaps yeah. maybe more dangerous having won the title at Queens that's often such a great yardstick and, and, and a wonderful preparation for the players 
to do well at Wimbledon. What about the big four? What do we think? Are we going to see all four? Here's the big question for me. Are we going to see all four in the semi-finals? I think top three, almost definitely. I think Federer's got a, a decent draw. Nadal and Djokovic are just so strong at the moment. I can't see anybody beating them before the semis. So Andy Murray really is is the one who's got the, the draw from hell isn't he I mean poor (laughs) guy you know his home grand slam title he's he's been trying to get through to the final he's got to the the semis three years in a row and suddenly they give him a draw like this Nikolai Davidenko a former top five player in the world in the first round oh and that's just the half of it because in the second round he's got to play a guy probably who's six foot ten in Ivo Karlovic and if he gets through that maybe it's Kevin Anderson who's six foot eight inches tall oh and Maybe if Anderson were to get upset early on, that would be a help, wouldn't it? But the problem is, Grigor Dimitrov is the player that might play Murray in the third round. And if he gets into the last 16, second week of a slam, that's when you start feeling good about your chances. Oh, Milos Raonic or Marin Cilic, the, the winner of Queen's. I mean, Andy Murray can't get a break It's here. nasty, isn't it? It gives a journo something to write about, though, for him. Well, every single round is just, just fascinating... Obstacle, it, it, isn't it? You know, there are no gimmies in there no. at all. I think he's safe, he's safe to be on centre court for all his matches. I think that's a good, one thing. a good amount of them. I'd say I, I, I think they'll probably put it put him out on court one you think so? once or twice. I would expect so. I think they did it once it last year, didn't they? The fact that they've put Federer out on court one on day one sets the tone mm. for me. And I think it's I actually. I mean, a lot of people disagree, but I actually think it's a good decision because. Um, I just think it's important to, to keep it fresh and give everybody a chance. I think Djokovic needs to be the star of the show on day one. Mm-hmm. He's the defending champion. That's what he is. Um, so I actually think the, the All England Club have made the right decision there. But yeah, Andy Murray, if he's going to get through to the semi-finals, which he's done three years in a row, it could be David Ferrer or Andy Roddick maybe in, in the quarters to get through to Nadal, potentially in the semis. He's got to do it the hard way. I mean, I suppose there are a couple of ways of looking at it, aren't there, Catherine? You know, he's going to be on his game. He's going to need to be on his game from ball one. There's going to be no Mm. sense of him having any sort of cruise control if he wants to get through. And one other thing is he really responds to the big matches, particularly at Wimbledon for obvious reasons. And Murray's somebody that, I mean, even if we were looking at his draw and it was, you know, Albert Ramos in the first round and whoever whoever else after that. he can make life difficult for himself against the lower-ranked players, can't he? You know, you quite often see him drop a set or two against these guys or get himself two sets of love down and having to face a marathon to get out of it. And um, so, yeah, I think... I, you've, I, I mean, we're desperately trying to put a positive spin on it, but... It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare, but, you, you know, it's, he's trying to win a slam, isn't he? He's not trying to get to the semi-finals anymore. He's trying to win it, and to win it, you have to beat the best players in the world, so... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Hey. Well said. Okay, well, I think it's prediction time on the men's side. Who is going to win the 2012 singles title? Rafael Nadal. Mm. Rafael Nadal, who got obliterated in the final last year by Novak Djokovic in four sets. You stick into that. Rafael Nadal, who got obliterated in the final of several clay court tournaments last year by Novak Djokovic. And this year is a different kettle of fish for Rafael Nadal. Lost early in Haller. I mean, he's got some, some difficult players in his section of the draw, including Tommy Haas, I noticed, mm. who he could play in the third round. And Haas was the winner in Halle and is in great form just at the moment. That section of the draw as well would put him potentially up against Joe Wilfred Songa in the quarterfinals. And that's the match of the tournament in the first round, isn't it? Joe Wilfred Songa against Leighton Hewitt. I'm not working that day. I'm going <laughs> courtside to sit on the front row. Oh, when I saw that, my heart went out to Leighton Hewitt. The poor guy, he's desperately on the comeback trail. He needs a break, doesn't he? He doesn't need Joe Wilfred Songa in the first round. Mind you, Joe Wilfred Songa doesn't want Leighton Hewitt in the first round no. either. Who's winning that? Songa's winning that, isn't he? I think Hewitt will get a set or yeah, two. I think, I, think so. I think Hewitt will push him. Yeah. I think Hewitt will really push him. And a lot will depend on how Songa can withstand the odd disappointment. But I think maybe he'll just have a little bit too much power and and athleticism for him. I suppose I'd better put my neck on the line. Who's going to win the 2012 title? <sighs> you know, the safe option here is just to, to copy my predictions. No, I'm not going to go for Rafael Nadal. I know that you got Sharapova right, and I know that you got Nadal right, and I know that you're getting everything wrong, <laughs> right, and it's really annoying me. But I'm going to go for... Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Roger Federer. I'm going to go for Novak Djokovic. To defend his title successfully. Were you tempted to go for Federer there? Tempted, yeah. Not tempted, tempted enough. Because I, I have gone out on a limb today and said on Twitter, how stupid was this? I said that I believe Federer will win at least another slam before he calls it a day. Um, and I went and told about 6,000 people that. So I really can't get out of it. Uh, but it's not going to be here, I don't think. I think Djokovic is just too strong, too confident on the service. I think he'll have great memories from last year. I think he'll win the title. 
just going back to that earlier point, would you count the Olympics as a, as a slam? If you won yeah. the Olympics... I would, really, yeah. Okay. I think I would. I think, I think Federer's got a great chance at the Olympics as I well. I agree. Um, but we are all set up for a fantastic couple of weeks of tennis. Quick word on the women's draw before we hear from Grigor Dimitrov, our special guest here on the Tennis Podcast. Who are you going for in the women's draw, Catherine? I think I'm going to give Sharapova. If she can win on clay, then she can sure as heck win on, on the grass, can't she? She does appear to be striding about the place with real purpose and, and self-belief. And, um, and as you say, clay is her least favourite service. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Azarenka comes out here, uh, whether she can regain the form of earlier in the year, because frankly, when she was matching up against Sharapova, she was bossing their matches. But Sharapova has confidence. I still have to do it, though. I know she let da- let me down at the French Open, but it oh, has to be Serena Williams. This. It has to be. She owns this court. She's won the title <clears> multiple <throat> times, and at her best, Serena Williams is the best player in the world. But she's not at her best. She's getting there. <laughs> she's super fit. She's she's up for it, and I say that Serena Williams is going to win the title. Oh, it makes it interesting. So isn't it if you're going to pick Serena inevitably in two weeks time we'll have another one of those where I replay this clip <laughs> and say yeah I know I got it wrong anyway I think it's time Catherine that we heard from Mr Grigor Dimitrov a man who was known from the very early stages of his career as baby fed because of the likeness to the man himself the way he plays and we've been following his progress for three years now haven't we Catherine every waiting, time we, we waiting s- for him to every time we see him play we're thinking come on this is the one <laughs> when he played Songa last year here at Wimbledon he so nearly beat him and he has these these wonderfully arcing ground strokes. This he, is this is another one where we've put our necks on the line and told is. hundreds of people over three years that it he's is. the next big thing, and he's. Uh, we've also adopted him here on the tennis podcast. He is our mascot for the show, and we follow his uh, progress every week. We're going to give you updates every time he plays, um, and we're now going to hear from him, Mr. Grigor Dimitrov, speaking to me at Queen's Club a couple of weeks ago. Well, I'm delighted to say we're joined uh, on the Tennis Podcast by a man who's just reached the quarterfinals here at the Aegon Championships at Queen's Club. This is uh, a nice feeling for you, I imagine, Grigor. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, uh, so far, I think it's one of my best tournaments, I have to say, uh, Always happy, always, always very happy to be here. And I mean, today I played also in the central court. It was, it was just an amazing feeling. I mean, I know it's a bit of a tough conditions today, but I'm very pleased to go into the next round. And well, you know, let let everything continues. It always seems to me that when when there's an opportunity to get out onto a big stage like this on a, a nice center court with lots of people, you almost seem to grow a couple of inches, as though you you feel comfortable in that in that environment. Always, always, and I'm trying to produce one of my best tennis. I think it's, uh, I think it's not easy sometimes to just go hard on a court like that and and feel 100% comfortable. I think it's always, it's a bit of doubt. So you know how I'm gonna do. I don't know the dimensions of the court or something like that. But hey, I mean, uh, I think I played already a couple of times, and I think I, I learned something out of it. And but I'm, I'm very, you know, in general, I'm very, very flattered that I could just just participate and, and just make my best effort today. You've just been in a press conference. I've just heard you talking about how, obviously, so many people of your career have compared you to Roger Federer. You made the point, well, hold on, I haven't reached the second week of a slam yet. I haven't won an ATP title yet. There may be some similarities, and it's a compliment, but it's it's not right to compare in that way just yet. But I, I just wonder, I mean, is, is he somebody you watched when you were growing up and in any way modelled your strokes on at all? 
No, no, de- definitely not. I mean, I was watching also a lot of Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, all these guys, and I mean, my dad was my coach ever since I remember myself. So it's, I think, everything was was put up all together. You know, you cannot name one thing that I was trying to copy. Of course, you can see. I think for many players, you can see small things and try to to make them in the in this way, or serve or behind forehand, whatever it is. Doesn't matter what shot it is, but. I was never like sitting in front of a TV in particular and say, okay, today I gotta do exactly like him and stuff. I think I think it's impossible. I think every player has his own his own style, of course, and and I think everyone wants to kind of build up his own personality, his own his own you know him. So I think it's it just compar- comparisons like that. Of course, you know it's nice to hear and all that, but that's. You know that's not my point, and um, as as you said, what I said at the press conference, and I'm sticking to it. So yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to. I mean, the the transition that a player makes from the junior to the senior game is historically one of the most challenging things. Really, you can you can win matches, you can win tournaments on the juniors. Trying to then transfer that to the senior game. Where do you feel you you are now? How, how far along that road do you feel you are? Oh, I cannot, I cannot tell like exactly where I'm right now because, you know, I'm I played already a couple of quarterfinals, I played a couple of good matches and stuff. But to me, you know, that's that's not enough. It's just I think it's just a step ahead. But I think to to make a breakthrough, it's you gotta prove not not only to the audience or to someone else, but mostly to yourself week in and week out. We have a couple of tournaments in a row. You know, why don't just win not one or two matches? Try to go to the semis, final, quarters, something like that. But do it in a row. You know, do do something constant. So I think that's the most. I think that's the toughest thing actually on the tour to be very consistent in every tournament. I know it's. I know it's hard, and everyone is very physical nowadays, and everyone is is, is playing a great tennis. Everyone is all over, is good all over the court. But you know, if you really can say if I have to say okay now I'm there I mean that's not uh, <laughs> I'm not I don't think I'm close yet but I mean I think I'm close with my game but the rest is yet to come I think I must admit I remember if I were to go back just over 10 years I, I had similar conversations with Roger Federer about, about that transition and he would put a great result in one week and then the next week it, it wouldn't work out so well and Emotionally, that was that is quite hard to take, you know, to, to get that consistency. What what is the hardest thing about trying to achieve that? What, why do you think to this point maybe you haven't? Well, I mean, I, I think every day, you know, you cannot, of course, wake up every day 100%. You can you, you can do that, but I think you just got to make the best out of it every day when you when you get up and when you're in the practice court or if you're in the gym or something. I think that's one of the main things after. After how you're gonna be on match if you're willing to try the things you want to try or if you if you're a bit pulled back and you want to try something else you know there's so many so many options like yeah, I can these are just tons of them that but I think the, I think the, one of the main things is really to you know when you're in the match to do the things that you practice at and do you ever get bored on the court I do you do you ever think well actually I'd, I'd like to see what what would happen if I hit this shot or is it or is there a game plan that you always stick to? I think I have, and I think that's what—that's the mistake sometimes, of course. So, I—I um, I know the feeling because I've done it many times, and yes, some, sometimes I—I I mean, not nowadays, thank God. But when I was junior, I was getting bored quite often, so I was always doing some absolutely weird shots that I didn't know why I was doing them. Even till nowadays, I'm thinking about some moments. But hey, I mean, 
I mean, uh, the first of all, that's life, and second, you don't play the same match twice, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> Is that something that your your coaching team talks to you about? Your your sort of the buzzword in tennis is focus isn't it focus on winning the point rather than how you win the point yeah of course I mean they've said that to me many times but the thing is I think everything is, is up to you everything is in yourself so you cannot I mean it doesn't matter how many times they're coming before a match and telling you hey listen you gotta do that don't do this or, or something like that it's it's always it's always the case you know what I mean like every time you want, you don't want to do it but you actually do it you end up doing it so it, I think it's more up to yourself well how you're gonna if you if you thinking about it or you just want to you know let it go you don't think what they told you just be like okay listen to my inner voice if I want to do it I'm gonna do it if not well I'm gonna do the same so you're quite thing. instinctive on the court yeah yeah, I mean, trying to, you know, and also I think it's very important to improvise on uh, on grass courts. I mean, sometimes one of the weirdest things can be the, the most winning, you know, winning of shots. So, it, I mean, of course, within within the risk, you know, you got to put your frames and, well, yeah. So let's let's just be out there on the grass and, and try to do, you know, the best you can, so... Tennis is quite a 24-7 kind of sport, isn't it? I mean, the tour goes round, it's tournament to tournament. We're here all in the player lounge at the moment and everybody's thinking about the next match, the next practice, the next massage session. How, what is your view of tennis generally? Do you, do you love the game? Do you go to bed thinking about the game? Do you wake up thinking about the game? Or, or do you prefer not to have that sort of all-consuming obsession kind of with the sport of course of course I do yeah I'm, I'm, I'm living into the game but the thing is I think there's times I mean there's time in a in a place for you to say okay listen you just just take it easy for a bit you know try to try to rest a bit and do what you can do you know just just relax let, let your mind free and think for something else and well, of course, sometimes I'm getting fed up with certain things, so of course everyone says, okay, you know, just take a couple of days off, but after these couple of days off, I mean, I'm, I'm so refreshed that I'm, I'm automatically thinking what's gonna, what I'm going to do next, so I think, it's, I think it's different from person to person. Of course. I mean, I'm just wondering, when you, when here you are in the early stages of your career, if I were to take you forward 10 years from now, goodness knows where you'll be, but what do you what do you want to look back on and think that's what I've achieved what, what do you hope to achieve in the sport well I mean of course grass sem to me has always been always been a, a challenge I have to say you know uh, like grand slam tournament I mean whether it's going to be Wimbledon or any of these things but it doesn't stop there I mean I think once you do something like that I mean everything after that is just absolutely up to you you know it's I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know, because it's a very, very funny question. But if I have to answer, it's gonna be, I mean, if I really gave up everything for myself in order to do where I, where I'm gonna be in ten years. So, I mean, I think that's probably one of the most important things. For, I think not only as a tennis player, but as a person, it's to have not, no regrets. Yeah, to have no regret. I mean, of course, I will have certain, but that's not the point. Is that if you're gonna look back and say, okay, I really tried. 100%, you know, if not, I think it's going to be tough and this thing is going to hunt you many years after that. And it's, it's not about being a, 
you know, tennis player or anything else. It's just, I think, mainly about being a person that you are. So it's, I mean, I, and again, I think it's different for everyone. So depends how you see things. I know you're, you're based uh, in Paris and uh, obviously you travel a lot. What, what is it like when you go back home? How, how well known are you? Well, home, it's, yeah, it's always, yeah, people know me a lot, they recognize me on the street nowadays, but, well, I mean, I'm always happy to go back home for a few days, it's always nice, and see the relatives, and, you know, spend a couple of days at home with the family, it's always, uh, always a pleasure, and it's actually one of the greatest times, because you think everything actually stops, and, and you don't, all the worries and everything else is a side of you, and, it's like you're not into the reality, so what's, that makes it even more interesting for for you to to compare, um, you know, like being on a tournament, being on a tour, or then with anything else. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's an unusual world, isn't it? The tennis world. It's like a traveling circus. We pick ourselves up and drop ourselves up in another in another city. What do you what do you like most about the lifestyle of a tennis player? First of all, you travel every week. I mean, I mean, if you want to be a professional athlete in general, you gotta like that and changing hotels and all that. But I think, I mean, I never, frankly, I never, I never thought of that. I, I think, I've been since since I was really young. I always wanted to travel and you know explore cities, cultures, and all all type of things. So. I haven't thought of that deeply and, and see what exactly I like and one thing in particular I cannot name but I think it's I mean it's always nice of course sometimes you're like okay I just want to go home for a week yeah but beside that no and j- just just finally just tell me what, what it is like for for you when you you hit the sort of shot you know one of your best shots and the crowd goes crazy it must mm. be quite a feeling no, no, the feeling is, is always nice. I mean, it's always great to, to you know, to hear them applauding you and all that. So, I, but, I mean, sometimes I do I do things for the crowd sometimes. I mean, not, not anymore, thank God, but before when I was playing, I was always trying to do something something nice. But I almost realized, like a responsibility that it's an entertainment yeah, business. Almost, but in, in, in the end of the day, that's, that's not the case. And I think I realized that already, thank God, but... I mean, well, it's. Uh, I think it's a great feeling, but in the same time, you get even more motivated, and I think your your focus increases more. So it's always always nice to to look up to that. Well, looking out on those crowds here at the Queens Club, the Aegon Championships, I think everybody's enjoyed watching you play to this point, and let's hope you you're back here many years to come, Gregor. It's been nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So there he is, the next big thing, or at least we think so. One thing's for sure, if Dimitrov fulfills his potential, it's going to be quite a ride. Next week on the Tennis Podcast, we'll talk to a man who reached the Wimbledon final in 2003. It's an in-depth heart-to-heart with the man known as Scud, Mark Filipousis, right here on the Tennis Podcast.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 